It is our high and holy privilege to be able to share again in the word of the living God this morning, and we're grateful to him for the privilege that is ours, inestimable privilege, in fact. And if you'll open your copy of the scripture to Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, as we continue our exposition through uh, the gospel uh, according to Matthew. And this portion of scripture, and all of it indeed, uh, focuses on Jesus, about whom we just heard delivered musically to us. Matthew 8, verse 23, that's where we begin our study of the Word of God this morning. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Uses the subject for this verse, these verses, a miracle at sea. Evil is a very present reality in our world. Theologians have identified three kinds of evil in it. And those evils are presented to us in the scripture. They are moral, natural, and supernatural evils. Moral evil is personal and relates to all human beings. It is in us and expressed by us in our sins. Sins of omission and sins of commission. No one here sitting under the sound of my voice would uh, argue against the reality that sin is present with all of us. That evil, moral evil, is a reality in our life. There is supernatural evil. That refers to the evil actions of demons. We can call it demonic evil. There's a third category of evil, and that is natural evil. This kind of evil is impersonal, but can affect us personally. It is physical, and it is temporal. Natural evil includes natural disasters. It includes diseases, bacteria, viruses. We know a thing or two about those, don't we? It includes drought. We could use as a... Um, other illustrations of it, tornadoes and hurricanes, monsoons, and have a title for these, bad weather. Bad weather. Have you ever thought about that? Bad weather is a natural evil. You see, God created a perfect environment into which he placed Adam and Eve. The natural world was without the corruption that we now experience that pervades the entire planet. God created Adam upright. He was innocent. He was pure. He was without sin. 
His environment, in fact, fit him. It fit his moral condition. Adam was in harmony with his creator and his environment. The natural world, or nature we may call it, reflected that harmony. The harmony became disharmony, however, when Adam rebelled against his creator. And then God cursed the natural world. That's why we have all those things that happen in the natural world. The tornadoes, hurricanes, monsoons, uh, drought, and etc. It's a, a curse placed on our environment because of our sin. And one of the results, as I mentioned already, is bad weather. And the problem with bad weather, it can have deadly results. We all know that. Living where we live, tornadoes come through here and people inevitably die. In our study of Matthew's gospel, we've seen Jesus' authority and power over the evils of sickness, disease, and demons. His power is unqualified. He has power over them without question. It's an expression of his kingdom. He is the king and his kingdom was present and his kingdom is a kingdom of power. And those things that harm human beings, sickness, death, disease, all of that, his kingdom triumphs over them. Now, in this study, we see a record of Jesus with his authority and power over the forces of nature. With his might, He is able to tame and bring into complete submission the hostile elements of nature which are hostile to us. Really, it's a preview of his future kingdom that he is is going to establish on this earth. When the curse will be partially lifted and we will not experience these horrendous events that plague humankind now. In fact, you need to understand the whole of creation, it was created for him. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 in part reads, All things have been created through him and, hear the words, for him. This whole world uh, of nature and all that we see in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm, all of that was created by him and for him. It's for the display of his glory. His glory includes his sovereign power and authority. Sovereign power and authority. The world of nature is a display of it here. You think about it. Think about this. When you look at the created order, you see all of its intricacies. You see its beauty. You see how it functions. You see the natural laws. All of that. Do understand Jesus Christ created that and it displays his glory. Even the disordered nature that we see recorded here by Matthew is an opportunity for him to display who he is and what he can do. And with that in mind, we want to talk about the disordered nature recorded here, and we'll call it the great peril. That is our first heading, the great peril. In verse 23, Jesus got in a boat and his disciples followed him. Those disciples were the twelve. Disciples are going to go to the other side of the sea. That was the intended destination. Underline that, underscore that in verse 18 of Matthew 8. It says here, 
he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. That is a clue for us. Uh, that's his intention, and he is going to go there. And then when you look at verse 28, I want you to notice something. It says, when he came to the other side, into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him there. Do get this. This is after the storm. Verse 18 is before the storm. Verse 28 is after the storm. The destination was go to meet the Gadarenes. Jesus had a divine appointment with two men who were demon-possessed on the other side of the sea. That's a clue for us. Keep that in your mind. They're going to get there. Keep that in your mind as we go through this. This whole storm thing. Understand Jesus was going to get across the sea. He was going to get across the sea. And so were his disciples. That's why you got to read closely the word of God. It will reveal some truths to you about our Lord. You see his glory, his wisdom, and his power. Get to the other side. Now, his disciples are there in this boat, verse 23, which probably belonged to either Peter or Andrew or James or John. It's a fishing boat. And they were going to the other side, as we've indicated. In the Sea of Galilee, the sea was approximately 13 miles long, 8 or 7 miles in width. To cross to the other side would take about an hour or two. And that would be a good amount of time for Jesus to rest. For he had been teaching and he had been uh, healing people. He had been exercising demons and he was exhausted. In his humanity, he experienced fatigue. And so he would have time to rest on this journey from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side. Now, you need to know something about the Sea of Galilee just a little bit. It's the lowest freshwater lake on the planet. It is 680 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by steep hills, which are a major factor in the development of sudden, violent, and sometimes life-threatening storms. Cool air would sweep in on the lake, and storms would... It would create the storm, and people would have those storms, and you never knew when they were going to show up. I can imagine how, how it must have been. The fishermen couldn't go and turn on you know, the news and find out there's going to be a squall, a gale. On. They didn't get a wind warning by the meteorologists. They didn't have that kind of sophistication in that day to predict those things. But they're on the Sea of Galilee. And you'll notice something in verse 24. And behold, stop with the word behold. <laughs> this word alerts us to something wonderful. That's why Matthew said, it, and behold. He wants to rivet our attention on something that had happened that he's about to tell us about. Something wonderful. But it, didn't, it doesn't start off that way. It starts off with these words, there arose a great storm on the sea. Literally, the, the Greek is seismos megos. You, you get the word megos from mega. Mega meaning great. 
seismos word storm here and it derives our english word does from this word seismos earthquake our word earthquakes earthquake comes from seismology and seismograph comes from the greek word storm here Literally, Matthew describes the sea in this great storm. He describes it as a storm as a great shaking. The sea was shaking. It was a sea quake, if you will. The, the sh- sea was shaking. The boat in the sea was shaking. And after that, it was dark, according to Mark chapter 4, th- verse 35. Evening had descended, so the boat was shaking, the sea was shaking, in which the boat was, and it was dark. And the boat was covered with water. The parallel account, Mark says, the vessel was being filled up with water. I'd imagine the disciples were shaking in their sandals, they were afraid. The vessel was taking on water. It meant that it would sink. And these men knew they were in trouble. They knew that they would be in the water soon because that boat taking all that water. They couldn't bail it out fast as the water was coming in. And it was getting loaded and it was going to go down. And they would be in the sea and they would drown. Drown under the dark sky. Just imagine. That was you. In that situation. But you see something in verse 24. The bottom of the verse. But Jesus himself was asleep. What a contrast. He's sleeping through this. He's in the stern of the ship. That is the rearmost part of the vessel. He was resting on a cushion. Mark tells us. This picture is our Lord's humanity. I told you earlier he was tired. He was exhausted from his day of ministry. He was so tired, in fact, that all that was surrounding him couldn't wake him up. The waves were covering him. The water would flash on his face. The wind was howling. So he's being, the water's coming on to him. There's, there's this noise from the wind. And Jesus is asleep. He was trusting the Father's plan. I told you earlier, he gave orders to go to the other side. He knew you're going to go to the other side. Say, why is, what is the point of it? This was the Father's plan. It was a divine plan. This is a progressive revelation to the disciples of who Jesus is. And it is for us as well. Because we have this permanent record in the word of God that displays the power and great mercy of Jesus Christ in this situation. We get to see who he is. He was asleep. The situation was perilous. The situation was desperate. Now, you need to understand something about this. On board this ship, there are at least four experienced fishermen. 
Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they had been out on the Sea of Galilee. They've experienced some storms. This was not their first, pardon the mixture of the, uh, the, of the metaphor, because this is not their first rodeo. But I would say that they had never, ever seen a storm like this. This was unprecedented in their experience. And so, they came to Jesus. They never witnessed forces of nature like this. They thought they were going to die. That word perishing, bottom of verse 25. Now, they came to Jesus. They had seen his authority and power of disease and demons and death. They should have known they weren't going to drown. Moreover, they had Jesus in the boat with them. You have Jesus in your boat. He uh, commanded demons to leave and they leave. He commands sicknesses to disappear. People are healed instantly. And it happened without failure. You have Jesus in your boat. They should have known what the songwriter wrote years later about this count. In part, it says, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. Do you really think Jesus is going to drown? <laughs> He's here to save sinners. you really think his life is going to be cut short? Storm on the Sea of Galilee? They were afraid. Verse 25. And they came to him and woke him saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. Now, first of all, you need to get this. They were right to go to Jesus in their distress. That's where you ought to go. There was no human solution to their peril. They couldn't get themselves out of this situation. There was no answer for them, no matter how experienced they were as seamen, those who were fishermen. They couldn't extract, extract themselves from this danger. His power alone could alter their dire circumstances. They understood that. But man, they were panicked. They were in panic mode. You're talking about an anxiety attack? This is a sure enough anxiety attack, a panic attack. In addition to their exclamation here in verse 25, when it says, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Mark chapter 4, verse 38 reports that the men ask, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Imagine the scene. They're rushing over to Jesus and, and all the madness and chaos is going on. It's dark and the storms, is, the wind is howling and the waves are pounding the boat. And they're saying, he's asleep. And they wake him up and one says, do you not care that we're going to die out here? Think about this, however. The disciples had no legitimate reason to doubt, to doubt Christ's care for them. They had been with him long enough to know his genuine love for them. Matthew Henry writes. Peter perhaps recalled this very event when he penned the words found in his first epistle, chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your anxiety on him 
because he cares for you. Peter was writing to people who had a difficult time. They were being persecuted and all those things that went along with that. Their lives were lived during perilous times. And that text is applicable to all believers, not just to the ones who experience that in the sea. All of us in your trials that even seem to be about to take you under, so to speak, he cares for you. Our trials never alter that reality. Don't ever think for a moment that Jesus doesn't care for you because he permits you to go through a trial. To think otherwise is to think wrongly about him. So cast all your cares on him. Like you would throw a blanket onto a bed to warm up. Throw your cares onto him. Your discouragements. Your difficulties. Throw them onto the Lord. Now, I trust you. I trust that you know what you're doing with my life. Do you get that? That's a critical element in this reality. You have to trust him that he knows what he is doing with what he is doing with you at that moment. Is it not true that many Christians sometimes wonder, well, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? Why are you letting me go through this? Why are you sending me through this? Why is this peril coming? You've got to trust him that he knows what he is doing. In your life. So cast your cares. Upon him. For he cares. For you. Remember that. He cares for you. He loves you. He died for you. He sustains you. He's going to take you to heaven. Does he care for you? Ask the question again. Does he care for you? Yes. Trust him. He knows what he's doing knows what he's doing verse 26 why are you afraid <laughs> I know I know that sounds incongruous with the situation what a question afraid uh, have you noticed what's going on here this boat is shaking like mad and the waves are pounding you uh, are we, yeah <laughs> we're afraid he says, you meant a little faith. Now, when Jesus said that, no doubt they were perplexed. But our Lord's uh, question pinpointed a spiritual problem in their life. They were fearful. They were cowardly instead of trusting him. And that's what Jesus got at says, men, your problem is you have a little faith, not enough. Who but Jesus would connect that? Us, if they, they ask us the question, if we, were, we would say, yeah, yeah, I understand why you're afraid. Jesus said, why are you being cowardly? Your problem is spiritual. You don't have enough faith. J.C. Ryle wrote wisely, quote, How many have faith and love enough to forsake all Christ for Christ's sake? 
and to follow him whithersoever he goes. And yet are full of fears in the hour of trial. How many have grace enough to turn to Jesus in every trouble, crying, Lord, save us. And yet, not grace enough to lie still and believe in the darkest hour that all is well. Close quote. Jesus wants us to trust him no matter how dark the trial. No matter the direness of the circumstance. He wants us just trust him. Trust him. Great peril. The next heading is great power. Great power. Notice he uh, deals with the spiritual before he deals with the physical. Isn't that interesting? Then he got up. After he gave them that little query. And rebuked the winds and the waves. Mark tells us Jesus spoke to the wind and the sea. He said, hush, be still. I used to wonder when I'd hear that growing up, I didn't understand that, hush. I mean, I didn't know the word inanimate, but I knew it was forces of nature. You know, it's a storm. Why are you talking to it? (laughs) He personified the elements. That's what he was doing, personification. He says to the howling winds, hush. He gave the word. The winds don't have ears. But the one who called the wind into existence could speak to it and it had to obey. That's a miracle. That's supernatural. That is not explicable by science. That is a matter of God, the creator on earth, who's saying to his creation, this is what you're going to do now. Stop. Hush. Be quiet. Quit howling. And the wind stopped howling at that moment. It stopped. That was it. It was done. The waves. Be still. Think about this. Now, we would think when waves, we've seen waves when they act naturally, they slow down. Uh Uh-uh. They stopped in their tracks because the king, the creator said, stop. And they stopped instantaneously. It was his personal authority expressed. I would call it a sea change, wouldn't you? Okay. The authority of the master of the created order expressed his power. Power belongs to God. Psalm 62:11 William Hendrickson observed, quote, "Much that is wrong on earth can be corrected, but it takes deity to change the weather." 
Don't get upset with the weathermen when they get it wrong. They're just meteorologists. They put their data in and they look at all the models and say, well, the European model says this and this model says that. And we think if it goes down, the jet stream, jet stream does this. Well, we might have a little snow. And then what does God do? He says back, mm-hmm. It ain't what I'm doing. Occasionally, let them get it right. <laughs> I think it was supposed to snow in Lubbock. It was just cold. Right? No snow. God controls the weather. As I've said here before to you guys, he's the weatherman. It takes deity to control the weather. Now notice something here in the text. And it became perfectly calm. Perfectly calm. Literally great calm. Mega calm. He was a mega storm. Great mega seismos. Here it is mega calm. Charles Haddon Spurgeon writes, quote, There was no trace of storm another moment. The most blustering of the conflicting winds slept like a babe in its mother's bosom. End of quote. Now, I think there's a time for uh, caution and comprehension. It needs to be addressed here for us in terms of application. This episode of the calming of the storm of the sea, the miracle at sea, as I've entitled it, is not intended to teach that believers will not perish in natural disasters because they do. Rather, the story assures the believer that no force on earth can ever sever a believer from the salvation, his salvation, whatever may befall us or him in this life. We will not be separated from our Lord. Nothing on earth can do that. If you're in the kingdom, you're in the kingdom permanently. You belong to Christ, you're his forever. So nothing, no natural disaster of any kind, no created thing can separate you from him. Because he controls all those things. And they don't have the power to separate us from him. Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, writes in Romans 8, 39, in part, these words. Nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What is the wind? It's a created thing. What is the storm? It's a created thing. What are the sea? It's a created thing. Who are demons? Created things. Everything that Paul lists there in the litany there in Romans 8 are created things, and they cannot separate us from our union with Jesus Christ. You and your Savior are joined together and no created thing can ever separate you. That's what we know. So it's not a problem. If Jesus wants to save us in a storm, out of a storm, keep us alive or let us die, it doesn't matter. We're going to be out of a storm here on earth to serve him. If we die in a storm or whatever the disaster is, guess what? Instant heaven. We don't have a problem. Instant in, instantly in his presence. And his power demonstrates that. No wonder 
They were, notice the text, amazed, verse 27. I mean, all this is going on, and he stands up. It speaks, and suddenly it's calm. My jaw would drop, too. What kind of man is this? Did even the winds and the sea obey him? Hmm. The word kind renders the Greek term potopin. It implies a reaction of astonishment and usually of admiration upon viewing some person or thing. Potopin is used in 1 John chapter 3 to speak of God's love that cannot be articulated in the human language and is foreign to normal understanding. 1 John 3, when it talks about the love of God, it's foreign because there's nothing on the planet like it. The love that he loved us with, that is the word that's used there, and that's the word that's used here when the word is translated kind. They had witnessed an extraordinary event. They had witnessed a miracle. It was astonishing, astonishing and exceeded their ability to articulate uh, what they had seen. So they just said, simply said, what kind of man is this? We've never seen a man like this. We've never heard of a man like this. Anybody who can stand up and say even the winds and the sea obey him, really? What kind of man is this? Once, at one moment, you recall he was sleeping soundly. And the next moment, the sea obeys him. What kind of man is this? That's a good question, right? Well, we can answer it. Yes, amen, we can do that because we got the Bible. It tells us what kind of man is this. The Bible tells us in Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9, if you want to turn it all right, if you don't get there, just write it down and refer to it later. Psalm 89, verse says 8 and 9. O Lord, God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You ruled, get this, you ruled the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you steal them. O mighty Lord, Lord, there in verse 8 is Yahweh. Yahweh. He controls the sea. That's what the text says. There's another one. Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Verses 23 and following. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens, they went down to the depths, their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man, and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distresses. 
He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. What kind of man is this? These texts tell us that only God can do that. In Matthew 1.16, we learn that he is born of a virgin. Matthew chapter 1.23, we learn his name shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. Later in Matthew 16, Peter's great confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God kind of man is this he's God in human flesh they had God in their boat the Old Testament people they prayed to God in heaven God everywhere of course but they weren't thinking about him being in a ship he physically was in the ship that's who he is that's who we worship that who is the one who died to save us. The miracle at sea reveals the divine glory of Jesus Christ. It tells us who he is. He is not on par with other religious leaders or teachers to say that about him to equate him with any other religious person leader in the world is to do him a dishonor he is not one of those he is the lord of glory he came from heaven to earth as we sang a little while ago he is the one who became a human being is god on earth and his glory is on display when you read through the Gospels, you see his glory on display and his miracles. All of that, you say, that's who he is. Supernatural. Can't be explained any other way. But not only that, we see his compassion. Because those guys were scared out of their minds. And in his compassion, he stilled storm that's our Jesus that's our Lord whom we love and serve let us pray together we thank you our Father and our God for your revelation revelation of the second person of the Trinity whom you sent to save sinners God in human flesh, in human form, eternal, became one of us, entered space and time to do the work of redemption. We bless your holy name for this record we have in our hands that our eyes can behold and our ears can hear. We pray for any in this room this morning who's without Jesus Christ. 
Open their blinded eyes. Deliver them from Satan's power. Free them to trust him, Christ alone, for salvation. Pray for anybody in this room or anybody online here, do the same. Anybody in this room who's a Christian but need a church home, add them here. They may grow in, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ to honor and worship him and adore him magnify him we bless your name for helping us do the same it is in his holy name I pray amen